This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Southernmost point adorned to the lands of always winter and what is west of west and the shadows in the east. This is Casterly Talk. And I'm Ken Napsock with you here today, looking at the world of ice and fire, getting you ready for House of the Dragon, looking back at Game of Thrones. Missed last week's show, I apologize. A little car accident got in my way. Rest in peace, my 2004 Toyota Camry. She served me well. I actually was heading home to record an episode. I appeared on a Screen Junkies SJU program, talking a little Clone Wars. So then I was uh, heading home, going to have a nice little snack, record casually talk for y'all, with y'all. Boom. Lost the camera. But I'm okay. Walked away. Bruised and sore. I've been listening to my other shows. Talked about it enough. We're going to move on. But happy to be here. Life, you don't know. So happy to be here still talking Game of Thrones with you all. And, you know, I I, I do want to address that. When the show wrapped up, I thought, do I keep going? Do I keep going? We've been doing Daily Thrones here on this feed. And then we changed it over to Casterly Talk after Daily Thrones it had gone away. Um... You know, season eight wrapped up. It's like, I get, you could walk away. You could walk away. Great show of all time. We did our thing. Lon, Rachel, Andres, we all gathered. We talked about it. People hated the show. People loved the show. We can all move on. I didn't want to be the guy at the party still talking about something that no one else was interested in. And it struck me. You know what? Star Wars in 1983. Did we all walk away from that? Oh, yeah, there were some dark days. It died down. Late 80s. It was dark days of the Star Wars fandom where we just didn't ever think we'd really get any more. Then the Thrawn trilogy shows up. Uh, the Legends Expanded Universe kind of arrives. All those kind of things. Like, you know, we got special editions. We got we got prequels. And Star Wars rolls on, right? But go back to like 84, 85. Did, did we leave it then? No. So I'm not leaving Game of Thrones now because this is even more vibrant. It's more alive than Star Wars was in 1983, 84, 85 range. Especially after the Kenner line died in 85, right? We, we got books coming. We got George finishing the books, right, George? Uh, no answer. We have Fire and Blood paperback coming out. We got Fire and Blood Part 2 on the way. Getting ready for House of the Dragon. We could talk about prequels that never were, that never are, never will be, or might be. You never know. So, yeah, I'm happy that I talked myself into staying, and, and part of that is because of all you. The, you know, the numbers are small and intimate. I'm not here for the numbers. I'm here for the people who want to be here. You know, one of the things about stand-up comedy that I've done off and on for whew, 15 years now or whatever it is, many dark years in there where I didn't do it, but um, all the time. one of the lessons, you know, if you're you're in a show and there's 40 people in the showroom and 37 of them don't give a damn about you, play to the three that do. And that's what Cashly Talk is. I get it. We've all, uh, the pop culture fandoms, boom, the next big, you know, start a Witcher podcast. And, and no disrespect to anyone who likes Witcher. You know, Outlander, Outsider, Watchmen, Schmoopy Doos, I don't know. Is that a show? Sounds like it. Watchmen is. Schmoopy Doos, probably not. It's like the Teletubbies, Teletubbies evil uh, argent nemesis. Uh, <laughs> we're here. I'm here with you all. And one of the reasons that, you know, I, I went to. Shout out to winnerscoming.net and Watchers on the Wall, two great websites that uh, prove that there's still news, man. There's still stuff to talk about and stuff to look forward to. And I wanted to dive into some of that today, and then I'll take your calls in the second half of the show here. Got another good what if. Ah, you guys are so good with some what ifs. I'm waiting to gather a whole team together for some of the uh, bigger questions. Uh, let's, you know, in, in getting ready for House of the Dragon, we know 2022 it's coming, and yeah, it was far off. But they're getting ready, and I hadn't, I hadn't really, quite frankly, looked this up or 
thought about it. We know uh, Ryan Condal, who uh, writer behind the sci-fi series Colony, uh, is um, already on board as one of the, the, the head writers developing the show uh, with Miguel Sapochnik, kind of uh, directing, show running uh, the show as well. So that's kind of where I, maybe not you, but where I just kind of stopped digging in. Because, again, I'm pacing myself. I got really excited. Ooh, 2020's here. House of Dragon, maybe early 2021. Nope. Okay, 2022. Got to pace myself. Got to pace myself. And that's great because it's going to be, I want to study Dance of the Dragons a little more. I want to reread something, reread a lot, quite frankly. So there's all that. But I thought about the writing staff, if they've got any news, and uh, reading uh, Dan uh, Selke's article uh, or is it Silk? I don't know. Um, Dan's article on uh, winnerscoming.net uh, about a month ago. I'm behind on the writing staff that is allegedly, it doesn't look like there's a lot of confirmations, but allegedly uh, on board. So far, there is writer Wes Took. And Wes uh, has been working on uh, Colony, so that makes some sense. Uh, he also produced Midway. The TV series Jean-Claude Van Johnson, uh, co-executive producing that, and uh, writing credit on that as well. A lot of writing, uh, 10 episodes on Colony, and then uh, Midway, uh, which is uh, uh, you know kind of big uh, action drama blockbuster film um, by Roland Emmerich. So working with him on that is uh, that's a big thing, which shows that he knows how to tell big war stories and the characters then so he's he's allegedly on board again a lot of this isn't listed but we're just going with this article and and, and that makes sense colony ryan condal connections there uh another uh writer on board is a playwright um, and tv writer let's make that clear claire keichel uh i'm having trouble saying dallas keichel's a great pitcher for the white Sox now uh claire keichel uh might be the, the better way to say it. uh writer on watchman the oa Airless uh, did production designing there, so she that's where she got her start. But uh, story editor, and one written by episode, but story editor for Watchmen. And that series, uh, all the hype, all the love for, uh, working with Lindelof, I mean, uh, and, and that's just her TV work. But she's more uh, a playwright, which is, I think that's very interesting, a, a very interesting approach to Game of Thrones because I think a lot of the scenes... When you really break it down, a lot of the scenes we love about Game of Thrones, the show, are easily transferable to the stage. Just imagine Cersei Lannister, Robert Baratheon sharing a glass of wine, wondering if there was ever a shot for their marriage. Just just put that on stage. It would work. Robert Baratheon and Ned Stark. Basically anything with Mark Addy, I guess you could just say is on stage. So bringing that kind of sensibility... Uh, it, it's I, I. That's what we do over in Force Center when we hear about rumored writers and directors for Star Wars projects. You kind of look in, even if you're not familiar with the work. You look at what they've done and 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 say, what about them? What about their work can be brought into this project that we love? It's so the House of the Dragon. So that's to me. Again, that doesn't necessarily mean that she's Claire uh, Claire Keitel will be pigeonholed into you write us some play like scenes for House of the Dragon. No, absolutely not. But. If she's crafting an episode, she's going to be able to bring that skill set, the one-on-ones, the dialogue-based stuff uh, that you might see on stage in an intimate kind of presentation. Bring that to House of Dragons exciting to, to, to me as well. And uh, then there's uh, they have listed uh, a writer's assistant, uh, Ty and Michael. Uh, then we've got this one. This one came from some tweets. Uh, nothing Again, nothing official. But... David Anthony Durham, who is a historical fiction writer, who's uh, written a lot of novels during the Punic Wars. Um, he's got a Spartacus novel uh, called The Risen. And it is got, the, there's a pull quote on the cover of The Risen from George R.R. R. Martin. David Anthony Durham has serious chops. I can't re- wait to read whatever he writes next. So that's great. And the book has a map, right? You, you, you Books with maps. So that would make some sense if Martin's worked with him and familiar with him, bringing in 
uh, David Anthony Durham to the project. I'm trying to see if he's got any TV uh, credits. Doesn't necessarily... Um, can't find an IMDb page. We're researching on the fly. But, I mean, there you go. There you go. A, a historical fiction writer with Fire and Blood, which is essentially a historical fiction uh, story set in its own world. <laughs> it's it's a fake history, but it all works. That that's a good writing. That's a start. That's a good. That's just a start, and none of it official. That's a good team with a lot of different styles to it. I don't just, I don't just want a bunch of uh, TV writers coming in here. Bring in stuff. Uh, bring in little different takes, different points of view. That's a lot, lot, uh, lot to be interested uh, in for that series. So again, I hadn't stopped and thought about that, but there you go. Now I've thought about it, and now you're thinking about it. Are there any creatives, any writers out there that you're aware of that you think would fit well into the world of Ice and Fire, particularly Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon? I guess it's, I guess it's not going to be called. It's just going to be called. House of the Dragon. I gotta get. I gotta get that out of my mind, right? Uh, interesting stuff there. Hey, uh, there was uh, one rumor going around that uh, Jamie Lannister was dead. Um, this being the actor, Nicolaj Calder uh, Coster Waldo. I always reverse it. I don't know why. I always reverse it. that he was dead. He's not. <laughs> he is not very much alive. Very upset about being called dead. Uh, also, did you know this? Benny Alpha Weiss directed Leslie Jones' new comedy special. She's a super fan. They wanted to work with her. Uh, what a thrill. I haven't had a chance to check out the comedy special. Just going through the news. Just going through the news. But here's what I really want to talk about here today. I, I've become obsessed with this. And I'll admit, you always got to be wary of agendas. Wary of agendas. And I, <clears throat> I, know, I, you know, I have one too. I love season eight. That's my agenda. I love season eight. Problems and all. Sure, sure. You want to say this? For, I look. I'll, I'll say this. I think season seven. We're going to talk about season seven, the second half of the show. I think season seven is more in your face problems, more overt problems than season eight. To me, is season eight perfect? No, I think it is impossible for it to be perfect. It's just set up to not be perfect. But hot damn, I love that. I love that season so. I have become obsessed, and I'm putting that out there. This is my agenda. Because one of the things, and I go through a lot on the Star Wars side, is a group of fans hates a movie or a show or a project, and they start tracking down clips with actors or people involved with these productions, these specific productions, and they start looking for clues and words that they don't like. it, And in and, and, and some cases it might be true some some cases it absolutely might be true uh, but they twist it out even even going to like say an oscar isaac or a john boyega from star wars poe and finn respectively you you absolutely have a sense that there were some frustrations with disney and, and maybe some of the things in the star wars movies or some things that weren't there well that's fair they're invested in their roles as actors and and and, and wanted to see some things happen it didn't happen so you could take that and take that very legitimate piece of evidence from them, but you could just spin it out of control if you want. So people really did that with Game of Thrones season eight. They really did it. Just parsing out every word in a, in a sound bite. Um, and a lot of times you just have these actors. I think, I think Amelia Clark is a great example. People brought her up time and time again. Oh, she hated it. She hated it. Or looking at stuff at the read-through, actors crying, or, uh, you know, uh, Conleth Hill saying, ah, you know, I liked, I liked the death, I liked the death of Varys, but ah, I wish I had a little more to do. You can, you, again, you could take that and spin it out of control. That's their agenda. But my agenda is to always go, ah, calm down. These people were in the productions, they're behind the stories, they're invested in their characters, and they, as actors, make choices, not just the writers, the directors, producers. It's all a big tapestry, but they make choices during the scenes, during the takes. And a lot of times you're criticizing their choices, but also saying, oh, those, that poor character, that poor actor, they had to go through that. 
A lot of times it is their choices. Case in point, uh, we have got Miss Sande herself, uh, Natalie uh, uh, Emmanuel. Uh, you know, no, no doubt, and you know, we're not going to deny the fact that Miss Sande's death created some pretty good conversations about uh, diversity and casting and, and uh, people of color and, and who dies and how they die. Those are all good conversations. Let's just make sure that's there. Um, and she addressed it. She addressed right after the episode came out, I think it was on Instagram, that wow, she was moved by the support and and heard those voices. She was also, during that week or so after the, her, her death, very supportive of Benioff and Weiss at times. Very, very clear to say, uh, uh, show a lot of gratitude for what, what they did. So, but you, you can be both. You can, you can support that your, 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 your bosses in a way you can support the show. You can have your choices and you can say, yeah, there's a bigger conversation. Always, always, always potential for bigger conversations that we should all listen to and, and have. Um, I, I felt she handled it very well, but it, it comes out again here. This is a TV line. I'm going to just read directly and we'll go into it here. She says, I was very grateful for the strength that she, Miss Sande, had when she left. That was a performance choice for me. I was like, she's not going to be crying. She's not going to be stereotypically scared. She's scared, but she owns it. This woman survived slavery. She knew that she might go to war and die. And she's owning it like a badass bitch. And I felt like that's what I did. I was very proud of it. As for the end of the Game of Thrones, she says, uh, it's totally fine if you don't like something. That's, that, that's, it's, it's perfectly acceptable. But she addresses the petition that was going around to redo season eight, which everyone would agree is silly. She found it, uh, apparently found it insulting. I'm reading directly now from Watchers in the Wall. What I didn't like was that people were signing a petition. You can't ask for receipts on art. You just can't. The art has been created for you. And you can either choose to like it or not she goes on to say that she was blown away by the finale it was a hard plane to land i don't think that people quite realize the undertaking and the amount of manpower it took to do that um you know again without uh, without taking away and trying very carefully to not take away anyone's uh, concerns for some of the bigger conversations around the Missandei character and the death, particularly or around uh, uh, race relations. I, I, I do not want to take anyone's ability to to use that death to to, to go into that conversation. Uh, I, I, I just want to talk about the characters best I can specifically. And one of the, the things, this is my point of view, again, my agenda. I still, particularly with season eight, and we're seeing it with Star Wars, we're seeing it with big... Big uh, genre uh, movies, uh, when you're invested in these characters and they're, and they're part of your lives, these characters are going to go through things that are not going to make you happy. They're not going to make you comfortable. And I'm not saying everything in Game of Thrones has been handled handled perfectly. I think you all know and understand that when I say that. But this is another example to me. Of what she just said. She went through all this. The character knew she might die. This is how she died. And I think there's great power in the way it was handled. And the lessons. The lessons to be found in the in the story of Missandei. And I think, again, her death doesn't take away any of that. I think, if anything, if anything, it, it's just makes her character that much more powerful because there's now this tragedy to it and you can go back and learn the lessons. Was, and this, you know, was this character used as a pawn to further Cersei's uh, villain status and be a, 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 a point uh, on, on the path for Danny to turn, to turn evil? Yeah. Yeah, she was. I don't see that. I don't see the problem with that in terms of just looking at the characters. Again, bigger conversations. Let's put them on the shelf right now. In terms of the character. Yes, Missandei's death, inhuman death, horribly tragic, bitterly, I don't want to use the word ironic, but you know, just like uh, a slave died in chains like after I freed her. Rubbing that in Danny's face. That would be, to me, one of the final pieces in the collapse 
And it's a horrible ending for Miss Sande that should make you feel like it's a horrible ending. They're just telling these stories. And I, I really like what she talked about. The I think that she made a great choice. She made a great choice. And one of her final words are basically to Danny. I'm paraphrasing, but her final words to Danny are like, burn this boop down. Do it. Do it. She's like the emperor. And that would have a powerful, uh, a powerful level of resonance in, in Danny, I think. Again, my take on it is is not necessarily perfect. It's my take. You might have a different take. I'm not. I'm not here to debate on it. I just think when you you hear all the the rancor monster and and just anger and 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 everything online, tune that all out and go right to the sources. Sometimes, which is these performers, uh, Nikolaj. At, at conventions, just oh, almost attacking fans. I love. I love. They have they have rallied the defenses around something they poured their lives into. It doesn't mean we have to love it. it. Does not mean just because someone worked really hard on something. I have that philosophy too. I have that philosophy. I, I there's one person I want years ago in Schmoes that are not related to Schmoes directly, but they pinch hit for tricasting operating one night, and they worked really hard. They worked really hard, and they helped us in a pinch. They also messed up and they messed up the show. And afterwards, I had to have that conversation of, look, you worked really hard. It didn't work, though. <laughs> the end result is the end result. We'll just work to get better next time. And that person, uh, never, we never really recovered. <laughs> um, so all that to say, it, can, it can't go wrong. It can't go wrong. Just because the actors like it doesn't mean you have to like it, but... I love hearing directly from this performance. In fact, we're going to hear even more directly right now. Aiden Gillen. Aiden Gillen. This is actually uh, from last year. I'm just seeing this. November 25th, he was awarded the Bram Stoker Medal of Cultural Achievement by the University Philosophical Society. Wow. Look at that. Good job, Baelish. Talked about a lot about Baelish last week. Uh, he was asked, so they did a lot of time. I listened to a lot of the interviews it's on YouTube. You, know, you can go to the Bram Stoker Medal of Cultural Achievement by the University Philosophical Society YouTube page and check out the interview. He's a fascinating character. He's an actor's actor, just a tech, technically a superb actor. Watching Game of Thrones uh, later on and doing a, a complete rewatch last year with, with Grace, who's a professional working actor, my girlfriend. Uh, and just seeing she po- she was pointing out to me some of the things I never really thought about because I'm not an actor uh, of Aiden Gillen. I just, you know, the, the eye, the correct eye to look at your scene partner. So you also the camera catches the full light on your face and the marks and everything. And he actually goes into it in this interview about uh, technical craft of acting and how hard it is to make it look so natural. So he is an actor's actor. And so no surprise that. He's got some takes on it here, but I, we can read the quote, but they have a video up. So without permission, uh, I'm going to play it. I'm going to play it right here. And this is what Aiden Gillen said when he was asked about from an audience member about what did you think about Game of Thrones ending? He said for, at first he kind of played it like, eh, you know, and you made you think, oh, maybe he doesn't like it. And then if you want, if you have that agenda, you could read into that beat. But he comes back later to answer that question directly. But here you go. This is pretty fascinating. You know, there was a lot of flack about the last season of Game of Thrones. I was astounded. I'm not a standard, you know, the way people are, the mentality that there is nowadays when people get on Twitter and all of these things and just slag the fuck out of everything. I really hate it. You know, I'm not on any social media and, you know, it's this kind of um, really nasty, you know, strain of behavior that's kind of uh, come with all of that technology. And uh, for people to turn on the writers of something that, you know, People had adored for seven seasons in such a nasty fashion mm. as they did. I was just taken aback. I really was, you know, because they're really talented. And that, sto- and that story was impossible to end. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, I wasn't in the last season. And I was... <laughs> <laughs> but I was in it a lot, right? <laughs> so, I around, you know, so I was around these people and... Um, you know, I, I thought they they made this like amazing thing that was. I was thinking, 
how can you end it? You can't really, right? And um, even when the characters that were, you know, there was this thing that went around for years where people were like very far away from each other and you know, there was a lot of talk about you know, um, far away lands and characters and eventually they started interacting and you know, it's like, right, okay, this is, you know, it's a, a different beast. You know? And then you've got this final season, which I thought like, some of the best, the best scenes, the best sequences of Game of Thrones were in the last season. I don't have any doubt about that. Mm. You know, um, they ended it in, in the only way that they could end it, which was you know, strangely reminiscent of how it began. Right? Mm. There's people sitting in a kind of land that seems to have <laughs> some kind of stability, but there's also uncertainty and mm. threat, which is you know, I suppose that's kind of what the world is like all the time. Mm. Um, there was a part of me that wanted it to end about 20 minutes before it did. Mm. Uh, it's just that it was, it was an image that I, I was like, that's just so fantastic. It was like dragon flying away, holding Daenerys Targaryen. I was like, that's just stunning. I thought the episode before it was fucking amazing. Mm. Sorry for my language. Um, <laughs> so, uh, what was the question again? Oh, we happy with the ending. Oh, happy with the ending. Yeah, I was. You know, I thought it was impossible. Yeah. But were you happy with the ending of uh, your character? Because in the season he dies, it seems like he gets like way stupider than like every season before that. Yeah. Well, that's the way it goes. Um, <laughs> you know, it's fine. I mean, uh, I, I always wanted. You know. Well, actually, I don't even really want to answer that question um, because I like to keep secrets. Okay. And um, a lot of actors don't keep their secrets. There we go. He doesn't answer. He doesn't answer it. Aiden Gillen, that's great stuff. And yeah, apologize for the language too if you don't like hearing uh, UK actors swearing. Um, I happen to love it. (laughs) Ah, I love that. Love everything about that. There's some honesty in his answer. Uh, I like the idea of, uh, I had that thought too of uh, that should be the final shot. Danny being taken away. But Imagine if that had been the case, and I think Aiden Gillen would understand this too, right? If that had been the case, then the uh, the amount of uh, angry tweets and think pieces over Game of Thrones didn't answer our questions. Who's the king? Who's the queen? All that stuff. They would have had to deal with that too. Um, so I get that. I get that. But that doesn't take away the power of that shot too. And I'm uh, right there with him too. Just I, I think the... Anger I have towards the anger, and we know we try to not go down the dark side. The anger I have towards the anger of Benioff and Weiss and their team, because remember, it's not just them; it's, it's a lot of them, and they're running the the, the ship. But not just them, but to, to suddenly turn, even in season seven, to suddenly turn on these people that just nailed it time and time again, and this false narrative, this false narrative that the show at one point left the books and had before then had been beat for beat the same. And that's why it was so good back then is just, just completely false. They were off the path from the beginning. Just, they had less paths to leave in the beginning. And then when more characters and more plot and everything, they, they had to start, it was more noticeable. And there was things that I initially didn't like. I I talked about the mutineer stuff in season four initially wasn't my favorite. I'm glad it's there now. It's powerful. Bran and John getting that close. Like, it's powerful stuff to me. Um, the Night King, not having, uh, not, not going up to uh, the lands of always winter up there to, uh, to the, uh, see the uh, sort of the ceremony of, of Craster's uh, son becoming a, a, a white, like, uh, or white walker, excuse me. Um, yeah, uh, they left the path a long time ago. And so to turn on them suddenly as if they were bumbling fools who just opened up Final Draft for the first time. And they had no experience, this thing of like, oh, like oh, the HBO gave these guys with no experience. Like, man, just doesn't work for me. Doesn't work for me. Have some has some criticisms. I, I've had conversations with friends off off air, offline of some of their thoughts. And I'm like, yeah, from a writing standpoint, I, I see it. I see it. But I, I'm, I'm with Aiden and uh, a lot of people where it's like, it's just impossible to wrap that up in any satisfactory way and they did it in a, the best way and season 8 has exactly what it says so to me just some of the best stuff best sequences in the show are very much in season 8 stand by the bells stand by the bells, stand by the long night stand by a lot of the stuff that's in that show 
in that season. Um, season eight. I'm about ready. We'll dress a little bit in the second half. About ready to start a very slow rewatch. But that might be that might be the true test. Is how slow can you keep it? Uh, that's it for a look at uh, a lot of stuff going on in uh, Game of Thrones news. Uh, just wanted to poke around. I thought there were some interesting tidbits. And I'll, and I'll say this right now. A lot of it is is me kind of lather, rinse, repeating uh, some talking points of, of actors. Peter Dinklage, uh, a lot of his comments I keep going back to. Uh, stuff with Amelia Clark, uh, all the cast. Um, I just, I'm still fascinated by it. I'm still fascinated by the absolute just heel turn some fans took on the show itself because it to me was just beyond choices i didn't like that choice just it just there was a lot of willful willful ignorance and we've seen it in star wars too and and it's 2020 is my year of poking back at it a little bit we're never being disrespectful again going to the misande conversation there is some huge cultural conversations to have about some of these characters, Grey Worm and Missandei specifically. Huge conversations to have about the diversity of casting going forward in House of the Dragon and, you know, how can, how can a story about mostly Targaryens established as um, definitely a certain uh, look and feel, what can you do in Westeros in essence to, to, to make it a little better? It, these are great conversations, conversations I want to hear, conversations I want to have, and changes I want to see made, but when you break it down to just the character in that moment, I still don't want my art to be too comfortable. And I don't think the journey of the characters has to go the way you want it for it to be a great, powerful, inspirational journey. But that's just me. Let's move on. Take a quick break here on Castle Talk. On the other side, your questions. Stick around. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And we're back here on Casterly Talk. Ken Apsock with you. I hope I'm not too grumpy. I don't want to be too grumpy. You don't like if you don't like parts of the show, you're fine. Fine. All right, let's get to some calls here. Um, I love this part. Uh, if, um, if you're kind of new around these parts, you can contact us through the Anchor app. Download it on your phone. Go to the desktop. I think you might be able to do it from your desktop, but you just from your phone, you go call into the show, you press a button, and boom, you are into the show. Got about 59 seconds to leave a message. We've been doing this since the beginning, since Daily Thrones. That's what I love doing, Daily Thrones on Anchor. And when we brought Casterly Talk in, changed the name, changed all that kind of stuff, changed the wallpaper, we kept the table settings the same. I wanted to make sure your voices were heard as well. So, I'm happy this time around we got a couple newer names. Uh, this caller we're going to play first, Ben, uh, had a great call last episode by the top 10 episodes that we're still going to we're going to approach with a more uh, robust panel and you know, with some thought behind it versus sometimes I just do this on the fly with these calls. So uh, he's back. Ben's back. Hey, Ken, I'm just wondering if you've started your uh, Game of Thrones rewatch yet. I uh, started my rewatch last year, shortly after the series finale aired. And I got to say, my biggest takeaway was a greater appreciation for Bran as a character. I went from feeling pretty lukewarm after he was announced as king. But on my rewatch, I actually got chills during that scene. And I now love that ending for Bran. Anyways, I'd like to know when you start your rewatch. 
All right. Great stuff there from Ben. Uh, thanks, Ben, for the call. Uh, I have not started my reach. We're rewatch yet. Uh, Grace and I just last night we were watching. We finished watching. We finally caught up on Glow season three, and she's she watches more shows than I do. Uh, I usually just play video games and I hear the show. Uh, I, I I heard all of Watchmen. Didn't see it. I heard it. I heard Secession. Uh, didn't uh, didn't watch it. Uh, it's just the way it works. But uh, she said she said it. Not me. She said it. We're just kind of sitting around watching our other favorite little guilty pleasure show, though we're not guilty. We don't feel guilty about it. Uh, that, of course, being Ghost Adventures on uh, Travel Channel. Uh, Zach Baggins and his crew. Uh, we were, uh, she's like, I, I think it's uh, feeling a little Game of Thrones. Feel it coming on. So we might uh, begin that rewatch. And my plan is, again, I, I think I mentioned it last week. I was like, if you were to do one a week, just one a week, you would be doing this for over a year. And it's intriguing to me. Pace it. Take your time. Then, you know, if it's a if it's a lazy Saturday night and you've made a pizza and you're drinking some wine and you watch one episode and the credits start rolling and then ah, let's just watch one more. That's how they get to you, right? So, Ben, to answer your question directly, I have not begun my rewatch. Uh, planning, uh, planning on doing so because I haven't watched season eight since uh it was on but i watched each episode four or five times uh as as a lot of you know that's what i would do uh to research to get ready for these shows and and also just to take it in to make sure you know just to make sure you know the first viewing is my correct feeling deep down inside for me uh, but I haven't watched it since, and time does change it. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe in a month, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll watch season eight, and I'll come back on and be like, "Yeah, you're all right. It sucked." You know, it's not going to be the case, but you never know. And Ben's call is the other side of uh, you know this this uh, rewatch and the value of rewatching a show like Game of Thrones. He said himself, "Brand becoming king, eh? Not so much. We know a lot of you out there have that feeling, and even for me, I was like, huh, I like it. it makes sense, but all right." All right, Brand takes it. I, I did, wouldn't put the money down on that, and I kind of wanted Sansa and everything. And I, again, I, I talked often. I, I enjoy the idea. I really think there's some, some uh, just uh, better justice and poetry in Sansa taking the North. But I, I had less of a of a Brand issue than others. But so Ben says, "Hey, you know, I am a little apathetic towards it." But watching it again and going back to the beginning. Going back to the beginning of the show uh, and just seeing, and this isn't this isn't whether whether or not the first shot uh, of uh, the, the of the reworked pilot, whether or not Benioff and Weiss knew back then that Brand was going to be the king on their plans, I, I, you know whether George had told them or they were going to work to it doesn't matter to me. I'm not talking about from behind the scenes point of view. I'm just in talk. I'm just talking about the story as it plays out in front of you. Going back, knowing where it ends, and going back and seeing some of it play out, and seeing some of the key moments, and seeing Bran being pushed out of the window in episode one of season one. That's going to have even more power, even more power. And even if things you know didn't go the way you thought or planned, or you know, for one of the things for me, like. You know, I, I I think it works. I do think they paid it off uh, directly. But like when he meets uh, the Three Eyed Raven, and uh, you know, oh, you'll never walk again, but you will fly. You know, I had that like, oh, as a dragon on top of a dragon. You know, but hey, he was a, he was a crow. He was a raven flying around. He did fly. But I think that statement now has a more of a of a, a figurative sense to it. A more of a you know. You'll fly from a certain point of view, and, and, and that has its own power. So that's part of the, the rewatch. And, and maybe you'll rewatch some of these characters that had endings you didn't like, and and you'll draw more from them, their moments, their big moments along the way. We, we talked about it a lot going back to season one and two. We really focused on those of, you know, the final goodbyes of some characters. You know, if you weren't familiar with the story as season one unfolds and Catelyn and Ned say goodbye to each other for the last time, going back a second time, that moment is just infinitely more powerful. So, Ben, great call. I will definitely let you all know when the rewatch begins will probably be a little bit of a factor in this show there uh, here at Castle Talk. So, next call from a brand new caller. Love it. Hey, Ken and Company. This is Nathan from Maryland. Long-time listener, first-time caller. 
been loving the what-if scenarios that you guys have been discussing over the past few weeks, so I wanted to chime in with one of my own. Last week, it was brought up that the Reigns of Castamere and the Red Wedding was a pivotal moment that changed the course of everything afterwards. So I was thinking one scenario that could potentially be even more impactful was the death of Cal Drogo. What if he didn't die, or what if he died much later on? What repercussions, what ripple effect would that have on everyone? Maybe the dragon eggs don't hatch. Maybe they do hatch, but they hatch much later, and now you get a united Dothraki front with Daenerys and three grown dragons. Could that give them a better chance of actually being able to take over Westeros and getting the throne? Is it Khal Drogo on the throne at that point with Daenerys as his queen? Just want to get your thoughts on that scenario. Love the podcast. Keep up the great work, guys. Thank you, Nathan. It's just me today answering this question. This one will come up again, I'm sure. And, and we, we've touched on it at some some points. And I think it's a, I think it's one of the biggest what ifs. We've had some wonderful what if conversations recently around Ned Stark uh, about what if he listened to Baelish. Well, you know, my favorite one is what if he just packed up and left and didn't listen to anybody but himself, which he was moments away from doing until Baelish comes in. But what if he listens to Baelish and follows through with his plan and supports Renly more than supports Stan? A lot of great, wonderful what ifs. What if Robert stays alive? Uh, and again, the thing with these what ifs, they should change everything, but they're fun. They're fun to play on. The Cal Drogo what if of what if he dies later is actually probably more realistic take or, or what if he stays alive? Point is, what if he survives season one? I think that is. I think that's absolutely would, would, would be one of the most dramatic changes. And it's intriguing. Because, yeah, I don't know, you know, Danny. The character of Danny needs that death to to move forward in a lot of ways, right? Danny was absolutely already, I mean, but she's stepping in that hot bath in the pilot, and she's already like, huh, not as hot as they told me, huh? Um, along the way, she's getting there. And she becomes she becomes a Khaleesi, she becomes a queen when she eats that that horse art, and even even before that, just everything about that sequence in those middle episodes. I mean, that's that's her powerful, real powerful early journey moments, and she really takes a step forward. So, Danny was already on the path. I don't necessarily think she needs Cal Drogo to die for her to move forward emotionally or to become who she was born to be uh, emotionally. There's just some literal things there. I mean, without him burning, without him dying, there, um, does she walk in with the eggs? Um, I don't know. Does she get the idea along the way? Does she just build a campfire and hope that does it? So that's the biggest thing out. And I, I think eventually, if she's truly the mother of dragons, eventually she finds a way. And again, eventually, I think Cal Drogo would die in some sort of warrior's way. The powerful what if, the powerful part of this what if is just in this real, literal, real world sense, she keeps the Kalasar. He's still there. This Dothraki horde is under their control. They are still going around the land marauding, doing bad things that Danny has issues with, but if Cal Drogo doesn't take that weapon to the shoulder, doesn't uh, get hurt. I think they keep going forward. And the goal was the same. He promised the iron chair. They got their son. Pretty powerful. And with Viserys already dead at this point, mind you, um, with him already dead, I think they move over soon. How do they get the ships? How do they get on the ships? Does Danny learn any of those lessons again? Uh, she'd have to learn them in different ways, but I already think she was on the path. What happens to her Marine of sticking around? I want to learn. I want to, I don't want to just uh, free the city, leave and the problems pop up behind me. Does she still have that? Does Cal Drogo allow that time? Um, how do they win? Is it more brutal or is it less brutal? I don't know. Dragons can be pretty brutal. That's where I go. I think they make the move over. I think maybe Cal, an interesting take, and this is just me. I'm not a, I'm not a as great storyteller as George R. R. Martin or Benny Alpha Weiss, but 
maybe they do find a way over and that Dothraki horde um, hits the shores and they do charge. I don't think once they're there, I don't think Cal Drogo thinks, you know, dragons are not, especially with dragons, but dragons are not. I don't think Cal Drogo hits the shores and says, okay, let's wait it out. He says we're heading towards King King's Landing and getting a crown for a queen. And it's big and it's brutal and it's violent. But how does Westeros react? Westeros, the people of Westeros, conditioned. We're not saying it's a good condition, but conditioned to not really accept foreigners. We see the problems with the foreigner queen who did have a foreign army, did have Dothraki, a lot of them. But imagine an even more powerful unit shows up with their version of a king riding uh, high on a horse with that braid, that, that tail, his own hair going all the way down to the ground. Yeah, I don't think Westeros is going to be like, yeah, we accept our new rulers. Still going to be brutal, still going to be bloody. So, Nathan, uh, there's more to think about, more to answer on that question, but I do love it. I think it changes a lot, but it speeds up a lot of Danny's uh, attempts to get her goals. But I think we're glad Danny had the time to wait, had some joy along the way with all the bad things that happened to her along the way and where it all ends up. Uh, maybe if Cal Drogo's around, a lot of those horrible things don't happen to her. She's definitely more protected. But again, I, I, I want Danny to rise above even Cal Drogo. I want Danny to be who she was born to be. So maybe it ends up a little happier. Maybe it ends up a little happier. Good question. I don't know. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, final call from our buddy Eric Monroe. Hey, Ken and Cashley Talk. So I just finished season seven of my rewatch, and I got to tell you how much I love season seven. I think it's very underrated. There were a, a, many amazing moments, like Danny's return to Dragonstone, uh, the, the sea battle of Euron Greyjoy, Jamie Lannister, and the Queen of Thorns final showdown was amazing. The Loot Train battle was amazing. To this day, I really thought uh, Braun was going to die during that. I'm glad he didn't. I mean, the, the, there are some problems with the on the wall episode but there are also some amazing moments in an episode like Benjamin Stark saving John um, John offering Longclaw back to Sir Jura is a great moment in that episode the parlay in the season finale is phenomenal so I, I do agree with Ace I think there are some problems with the little finger stuff but I actually think his actual death scene was well done I think the lead up to it is what the problem was but I, for me I think season 7 is definitely the most underrated season what do you think about season 7 what do I think about season seven? Yeah, I am feeling what Eric is saying. I, you know, if you have to rank, and I, and I really ranking Star Wars movies or you know, I don't know, Back to the Future movies, whatever, whatever you want to rank, Fast and the Furious movies, it's always tough because it changes every day. And and Game of Thrones, it's, but hey, eight seasons, what do you rank them? Um, you know, I'll play along a little bit. Uh, I, I really do think one, two. Eight are high for me. Um, six. Uh, but but it's hard to, you know, start pushing them down. Four, I think without Ober Martell, it's not as, I mean, it's all memorable, but, you know, it's maybe not as powerful. But then you have the Watchers on the Wall episode. So it just goes down. Five had a lot of the problems with Dorne. Uh, three, for me, this is for me, three, Red Wedding aside, this is some of my stuff where I'm like, I can't, almost can't even remember what happens in three sometimes. Um, it just kind of fades into the background. Again, keep in mind. Amazing stuff in all these episodes, in all these seasons. Uh, but seven, seven falls down the list at times for me. This is why I want to do the rewatch again, with all of it in place and all of the show there. And even if I'm, I myself can be like, yeah, Snow Team Six going north of the wall had some issues to me. Well, it didn't didn't wasn't my favorite. I, I still can't. I still can't separate the great moments. You mentioned the Jorah and John conversation. Some of my favorite stuff as a Jorah fan and a John fan. Just the banter in that episode. It was really had that old school feel. And yeah, the show does change by seven and by six. But by seven, you know, we're, we're fast. We're speeding up. Gendry's running a long way in a short amount of time. We, we get all, I get all that. And so that's why that, that, that moment there. But even just the, 
the the zombie bear attack a, a, a white bear like i mean uh, i want that i want to see that again there's a lot in each of these seasons to just write them off but they'll be remembered this is why season three for me is a little lower because it's of course remembered for the red wedding as it should be as it should be it's so well done the build-up is so great but that season's remembered more for that, I think, than other things in it. Again, you're going to provide a list, too. This is why ranking is hard. But season seven deserves a rewatch. Season seven should not just be remembered for maybe a, a, some bungled moments in the Sansa, Arya, uh, Baelish line. Um, it shouldn't shouldn't just be remembered for that. Um, I think the pain, the, 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 the just the, the pain that you feel when... Danny loses a dragon. The Saren falls like, oh, that, that that's so powerful in its own way. A lot of stuff that I think's to celebrate. Are oh, you getting in revenge? Season seven uh, does deserve the rewind. Benj- ah, Benjamin Stark coming back. God, I love that moment too. Love that moment. So yeah, there's a lot there, Eric. This is why going back to Ben's call too. We'll end the show here on this. These shows aren't going away, man. It's all wrapped up, but like Star Wars before, if you're a fan of that stuff, like anything genre-related, it's there for you. It continues to reward you, continues to inspire you and enlighten you, and you're going to find new things, and your opinions on things might change, and you're going to see it all again for the first time over and over again. So I hope you all take a moment to rewatch. All of Game of Thrones. We'll do it here at Castle Talk. We're almost out of here. You can follow me at Kednapsock. Go to kednapsock.com for information on uh, shows, uh, my book, Why We Love Star Wars. I'll be in Las Vegas March 6th doing comedy with Mark Ellis, Josh McCuga, uh, John Kaiser, and uh, even more people. You never know. Pop up. It's Las Vegas, baby. Go to markellislive.net for tickets there. Uh, proud to announce that I uh, wrote a podcast series for Wondery. They have a series called Sports Wars, and they have a new uh, five-episode arc uh, that just launched called Steve Austin versus The Rock. That's Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And I wrote it. Dan Rubenstein is the host. It's for Wondery. Check it on out. Uh, I think episode one came out last Wednesday. New episodes every Wednesday. Some content bonus content coming as well it's a lot of fun so i did that i've been working hard on that so uh check out that and if you have a question call in use the hashtag casually talk online to join any conversations thanks for my callers today and thanks to all of you for sticking with me here on casually talk mm-hmm.